spiritual affairs one's first duty is to control his mind and senses unless one controls his mind and senses one cannot make any advancement in spiritual life everyone within this material world is engrossed in the modes of passion and ignorance one must promote himself to the platform of goodness, sattva by following the instructions of Rupa Goswami, and then everything concerning how to make further progress will be revealed. In the last few days, there's been considerable discussion about the inner purpose of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings, the highest goal to be attained, service to Radha. One should, one is to attain the form of a gopi and serve Radha. So these are highly esoteric confidential and advanced topics which are the essence of Gorya Vaishnavism which are alluded to in Sri Upadesha Amrita and which are more clearly explicated in other works of the Goswamis and Today, we'll come down from the, what for us is head in the clouds discussion, or discussion very considerably above our present level of realization, and come down to earth, to where we are now, in the matter of controlling the mind and senses, which, although serving Radha and Krishna in Vrindavan, is our ultimate goal of life. It is, our, it is the natural position of the jiva to serve Krishna, either in Vrindavan or Mathura or Dwarka or Vaikuntha or Ayodhya, or in this even in this material world. But at the present time, we are not doing so. We are not engaged in our constitutional position because we are not in control of our mind and senses. Our senses are running wild, our mind and senses are running after sense enjoyment. So the whole process of sadhana bhakti 
is to engage the mind and senses in Krishna consciousness. I was quoting that bhaktya sanjataya bhaktya, bhakti leads to bhakti. The process of sadhana leads us to siddhi, to perfection, or leads us to raga, bhakti executed with attachment. But the activities are the same. In sadhana bhakti, vaidhi sadhana bhakti, one chants the holy name of the Lord, honors Krishna prasadam, hears discussions of Krishna, especially from Sriman Bhagavatam, and these are sample important activities executed in the stage of vaidhi sadhana, and in the stage of raganuga sadhana, or even in the fully perfectional state of being beyond sadhana and then being engaged simply in direct seva, still the activities are the same. At the beginning, but the senses, the point is that the senses are engaged in the service of Krishna. Instead of indulging the senses in their perverted proclivities, one should engage them in the natural proclivity of serving Krishna, which in our present contaminated state seems unnatural. But by doing so, in other words, we may desire to eat, to go to a shop and purchase some ice cream, or here in Mayapur the shop comes around to you. They have a roving ice cream seller. So one may think, yes, let me eat that. It's like wandering Maya, the ice cream seller. In Seattle in 1968, there's one recording of Srila Prabhupada speaking, and in the background, you can hear the, the sound of some sweet music, and Prabhupada asked, what is that? And they said, that's the ice cream van has come around. They come around and they play sweet music. Prabhupada commented, that is Maya calling. Of course, it may be vegetarian, but the basic impetus is to indulge the senses. It doesn't mean that eating vegetarian food is the perfection of life. As Srila Prabhupada often pointed out, even the monkeys and pigeons are vegetarian. So bhakti is the process of engaging the senses in the service of the master of the senses. Another important definition offered by Srila Rupa Goswami, extracted from the Vaishnav literature, Narada Pancharatra, that Hrishikena Hrishikesha Sevanam Bhakti Ruchati. There are various definitions of bhakti. One definition is to engage the senses in the service of the master of the senses. This is the bhakti process of engaging the senses. For one who's already on the pure platform, there's no question of any practice of doing this. One automatically does this. But in our stage, though we may talk of praying, we have to practically engage the senses in Krishna's service.
It's actually a lot easier to talk about praying than to control the mind and senses, which is probably why it's more popular. It's it's more attra- it's a more attractive proposition to hear talks of Prem and Radha Krishna's intimate leelas. But there is a problem that just by talking about them, it doesn't mean that one has any entrance into them. As long as the mind and senses remain uncontrolled, then such talks will remain to us simply theoretical. Therefore, one's first duty is to control his mind and senses. In all spiritual affairs, Srila Prabhupada writes, that's true in Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Ashtanga Yoga and Bhakti Yoga. Of course, these various processes of yoga, Bhakti Yoga is a fully spiritual process. And Karma Yoga, well, it's not really spiritual, but it's just on the threshold of spirituality. There's some spiritual touch. Jnana Yoga and Ashtanga Yoga are spiritual processes in as much as the aim of the performer is not grossly material. They have knowledge that the soul is different from the body and they attempt to act on the platform of the soul although without proper knowledge of the soul they without full knowledge of the soul they don't engage in the full process the fully spiritual process even the process of jnana yoga what they call jnana it's actually very uh, although it's jnana in as much as it's a big jump from karma yoga to jnana yoga from engaging in religious activities aimed at uh, enhancing one's pious material enjoyment to, that's karma yoga, uh, well that's karma kanda. When we say karma yoga, that can mean a a broad spectrum of, of activities and outlooks. But in jnana yoga, there is the the understanding that this material world is miserable, I should act on the spiritual platform. So we can say that that's, spiritual life really begins there. And, and in the Jnana Yoga process, and Ashtanga Yoga process, controlling the mind and senses is very important. But it's also true in Karma Yoga, in as much as to... Gain the result, or to perform the activities, one has to accept certain restrictions. And it's true in practically any field. Unless one is in Tamagun, there's absolutely no sense of controlling the mind and senses. But even in Rajagun, even if one is, uh, we see here in India so many students who very serious about study. So, they control the mind and senses in as much as those who are serious students, they don't party very much at all. Especially the medical students, they don't, they really don't have time, even once a year, practically, to 
to go for parties. So they simply, they, they, they're very focused. They don't drink. Many of them, or most of them, won't smoke. They're, even the medical students, later when they become doctors, they start smoking. They're very focused because they know, even boyfriends and girlfriends, they don't have time for that and they, they know that it's a, it's a diversion. So they, it's not that they're spiritual, but they think that let me get my degree and get qualified and then I'll do all these things later on. I'll enjoy myself later on. But some control of the mind, and not some control, but quite stringent control of the mind and senses is there with the idea of attaining a better goal in future. Only in, so even in Rajagun, where Rajagun means that one is impelled by a strong material desire. Only in Tamagun is there no control of the mind and senses. One simply flops down into the lowest level of consciousness. So in spiritual affairs, certainly control of mind and the senses is required. If even to get a, a, a medical degree, one, or one requires control of the mind and senses, then what to speak of that attainment, which means to go beyond all material desires. So one's first duty, it's, it's a duty. It means that one who comes to spiritual life, it's, their, it's incumbent upon them. It's not uh, optional. If one is actually entering into spiritual life, then it is a duty to control the mind and senses. Just, I don't know, two, three days ago I got an email, the kind of email I sometimes get from people I've, some of the people I've initiated, saying that, well, I'm in Maya, I don't want to associate with devotees, I have no taste for holy names, what should I do? But such a question, such a question shouldn't be asked. You take initiation, you take a vow to follow certain principles, and it's, it's it, Having taken that vow, it's one's duty to do so. There's no question of, there should be no question of asking, what should I do or how, how should I come out of this? It's just one has to follow, that's all. Once you've given a vow, Srila Prabhupada said that those who are initiated and they don't chant 16 rounds, Srila Prabhupada once was, he said they're simply animals because they promised and they don't follow. He said, if you're a human being and you give a promise, you should follow it. If you don't follow, then you're an animal, because an animal cannot promise. This word duty is not a very common or popular word in the modern age, in which people are, are uh, increasingly hedonistic. In hedonism, there's no sense of duty. But it is the duty of a, of a disciple. It means if in all spiritual affairs, or it's not stated here, but it's understood that in all spiritual affairs one has to be a disciple. That's there in Rupa Goswami's teachings also. 
in listing the 64 bhaktiyangas, the limbs of devotion, he states, Adagorbashaya, the first is to accept shelter of a spiritual master. Krishna Dikshana Shikshanam, Vishram Bhena Guru Seva, the first four are to accept shelter of a spiritual master, to take initiation from him, to take instruction from him, and with affection to serve the Guru. So one has obligations as a disciple. One may, one may think, well, you know, well, I, I took initiation and then now I don't feel like it's a free world, you can do what you like. That is the propaganda. Legally one is not bound. If one makes a promise to follow four regulated principles and chant a minimum 16 rounds of the Maha Mantra, and then later on one decides, well, I don't want to do that. There's, he's not legally bound. You, you, you can do what you like, theoretically. But one is bound. Duty means that there may not be the there may not be any uh, worldly legal binding, but they don't go in front of the camera. But there are other laws also. This is a, a great mistake of them people of the modern world, they don't believe in the laws of God or the higher laws of nature. They actually think that they can do what they like and get away with it. Very foolish. So it is, a it is actually a tremendous commitment to enter into spiritual life. On the other hand, if we don't do so, then we have to remain eternally in material consciousness. So one should go forward into spiritual life, but then we should know what it is. There are so many popularistic so-called spiritual teachers who place no restrictions upon their followers. If, one, if, if the so-called guru places no restrictions on his followers, just by that fact alone, ipso facto, we can understand He's a rascal. He's a cheater. Then what is the meaning of spiritual life? If there's, no if there's no difference between spiritual life and material life, well, this is a common Mayavad conception. Mayavadi conception. That there is no difference because there, the whole of Mayavad is that there are no differences. It's an absolute proposition. There are no differences. Nirvishesh means there's no differences, there's no, there's no s specific characteristics. One thing appears to be different from something else. This book is different from this book. But according to Mayavad, it's all the same. So there's no difference between spiritual and material. And they say it's simply a matter of consciousness. You just see everything as spiritual. 
experience everything as spiritual. So in this way they're cheating. The real, real spiritual life means purification. There must be purification. How can we think that if one is drinking, smoking, eating meat, having all kinds of sensual indulgence, wantonly, that there is any question of spiritual life. This, uh, this famous Mayavadi of sorts, Swami Bibekananda, as it's pronounced in Bengali, Bibekananda, he said, it doesn't matter what you eat, it depends on your consciousness. Well, that can be true if one is a highly advanced devotee. The consciousness is not uh, spoiled by anything. But on the other hand, he has no, no desire to eat meat or any such thing. So this meat-eating Swami, the disciple of a meat-eating guru, has caused great damage by making nonsensical statements. This kind of statement, one in all spiritual affairs, one's first duty is to control his mind and senses. This, this kind of statement, which we'll find again and again in Srila Prabhupada's books, is a real test to the reader. Do you want, are you ready to take this? Are we sincere to take this? Srila Prabhupada, he was looking for commitment. We hear innumerable stories of, from Srila Prabhupada's disciples of how tolerant Srila Prabhupada was. And it's certainly very enlivening to hear these stories. But... For all his tolerance, the actual fact is that Srila Prabhupada wanted commitment to follow principles and be serious about Krishna consciousness. It was his mercy that he gave people chance after chance after chance, even if they weren't coming to the proper standard. But it's very clear that he, he wasn't... It, it wasn't simply one of these smile at you swamis. That wasn't. That isn't all of Srila Prabhupada by any means. Simply smile and feel good. But Srila Prabhupada pushed for commitment and demanded commitment. And that's why distributing these books will really reveal to the people of the world what actual spiritual life is, what actual religion is. There's No one else is asking for this. People may talk so many things about God and spiritual life and personality development and stress relief. Prabhupada is asking, control the mind and senses. Give up sinful activities. Rise early in the morning. 
it's a it's a heavy demand for people raised in a hedonistic culture even what seemed to those who have made this step into Krishna consciousness what seemed like very simple things not drinking tea and coffee but to many people in India who are in many ways pious or devotionally inclined and vegetarians and in many ways they, they're inclined to this but the stricture no tea and coffee seems to them to be like a, a Himalayan mountain of impossibility that's just really too much you'll find that even the so-called spiritual groups they may be very pious but they all have in the middle of their satsangas tea breaks even if they're very pious in many ways about 20 years ago I was I in the course of our travels Yadricha we came across a uh, in Rajasthan in some desert outpost a gathering of pundits they were performing a several day yagya morning with morning and evening sessions and one of the features there was free tea for everyone who came one of the organizers told me quite proudly that we have organized free tea as much as you like would you like some? it's free for everyone as much as you like no thank you so even though Srila Prabhupada's the process he gave or the process given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Kevala Ananda Kanda it's very blissful but to the average materialist of the modern world it appears to be very strict Allen Ginsberg the famous famous means famous in America among some people famous poet of unrestricted sense indulgence he considered Srila Prabhupada very conservative because of all these rules when Prabhupada supported this he said no I'm very liberal otherwise how could I come here Prabhupada's god brothers, they couldn't imagine the circumstances that Prabhupada was ministering in. Prabhupada allowed so many things which his staid god brothers couldn't have even imagined. But still, there were limits. Those who want to be disciples, no tea, no coffee. No pan, biri, cigarette. No illicit sex. 
That, that one seemed almost impossible in the Western world, and now in modern India also. Srila Prabhupada, he, he wanted to give the real thing. So these, this is the real thing. These are the standards. So the first duty is to control the mind and senses. So, Gopi Bhav, Radha Prem, that is indicated here in the Sri Upadesh Amrita. But the beginning is Vacho Vegam. In this uh, con- discussion of controlling the mind and senses, Srila Prabhupada. Uh, see up to now in the last year's session and this year's session we've gone through about half the preface now we're just beginning the second half the, the, the whole of the second half which is only two paragraphs concentrates on this point it centers around this point of controlling the mind and senses which is uh, specifically referring to the first verse of Sri Upadeshamata. Vacho Vegam Manasakrodha Vegam Jiva Vegam Udharapasta Vegam. Controlling the urges of speech, of the mind, of anger, of the tongue. Here the tongue means the eating propensity, the tongue, belly, and genitals. So these are to be controlled. Often devotees ask me about, well, is it all right to bathe in Radha Kund? Because it's stated here in Sri Upadesh Amrita, one should bathe in Radha Kund. So I say, of course, it's there in Upadesh Amrita, should bathe in Radha Kund. But, first of all, one should follow the first verse, that comes later. So follow the first verse first, and then we'll think about bathing in Radha Kund afterwards. Because one may put one's filthy, smelly body in Radha Kund and think I'm bathing in Radha Kund. But actually, as Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Sastraktakwa has described, it is not actually possible to bathe in Radha Kund unless one, until one has attained a spiritual form. A prakrita sharia. So he recommends that we bathe in the Radha Kund or that which is non-different from Radha Kund. Kunda means a lake. So he bathe, he recommends that we bathe in a certain ocean that has been offered to us by Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada that will help us to qualify to bathe in Radha Kunda. That ocean is Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. We should bathe in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. That will be more congenial for our spiritual advancement than taking our gross body to which the subtle body full of filthy material desires is attached and thinking that we can just plunge into Radha Krishna Leela. So the first duty, yes, bathe in Radha Kund. But first of all, 
follow this first verse. Control the mind and senses. Not so easy. <laughs> easy to say, not easy to do. How to do it? If anyone asks me, I'll say, read that Brahmachari book. There's lots of discussion in there. But I, as I wrote in that book, it's anyone who's written a book knows that it's not an easy thing to do. But it's a lot easier to write books about controlling the mind and senses than to actually control the mind and senses. It seems to be almost impossible. The question came yesterday, who asked that about controlling the wind? Who asked that question about the wind? Arjuna asked. Who asked that? Whoever asked that? Krishna. Pramati balabadridham tasyaham nigraham manye vayor eva sudushkala. This is Arjuna's opinion. Which comes within the text of Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is talking to Arjuna about controlling the mind and Arjuna, who is actually... Arjuna interrupts. Now Arjuna is actually a very controlled mind. I mentioned maybe on the first day of this year's session. I think I mentioned it in this session here that Arjuna was of such controlled mind that when during the, his visit to the heavenly planets, he was proposed to by Urvashi, who is the most beautiful of the Apsaras. And Apsara means very beautiful. I heard one devotee told me, I don't know if it's true, but even if it's not true, it's probably that Prabhupada said this, it's probably true anyway. That Srila Prabhupada, I heard this when I first came to Mayapur in 1976, and Srila Prabhupada had said that the, uh, the Apsaras are hundreds and thousands of times more beautiful than the women on this planet. And that if we saw them, we'd simply faint. So, Urvashi is probably the most famous. And that means she's the most beautiful, most enticing. She proposed to Arjuna. But Arjuna, considering... No, I just I talked about this in uh, that village outside Chittagong. That's where I was talking about this. So Arjuna refused. No one would refuse. But Arjuna refused on consideration of dharma. He considered, due to a technical point of dharma, because she happened to be the long-distant mother of their line, so he refused to do so. So he was actually a very controlled mind. He was the best student of Dronacharya. So again, just like to be an, to be a, a doctor, you have to control the mind and senses to study. So he was a he was a student, very uh, 
very dedicated student. He would practice. He would go and practice even even after dark in the night. He would go and practice. So he was of controlled mind and senses, but he said to Krishna that it seems to me that his mind, the mind, chanchalam. Now, probably we're going to see some lightning soon. It looks just as yesterday evening. So, one word for lightning is chanchala. It means you'll see it here, then you'll see it there. It doesn't stay in one place. So that's the description of the mind. It's not fixed. It's one, one second and then a split second later somewhere else. And you don't know where it's going to come next. So that is the mind. Very strong and powerful. To control it, Arjuna says, to me, seems more difficult than controlling the wind. And Krishna agrees. He says, Undoubtedly, Asangshayang Mahabaho, Oh, you of great arms, you've got great arms, but you can't catch the wind, however great your arms may be. Undoubtedly, it's very difficult to control the mind. But there is a process to do so. By practice and by accepting the process of detachment, it is possible to do so. So the techniques of doing so, I discussed to some extent in that book, Brahmacharya and Krishna Consciousness. In our Krishna Conscious process, we have a, our process is that it's not exactly like the yogi's process, a mechanical process, but as I was saying, we, the, the process is to engage the senses in the service of the master of the senses. In this way, we gain a higher taste, but at the same time, as long as we haven't developed that higher taste, we have to follow certain restrictions. Because sangat sanjayate karmaha. One's desires develop according to one's association. So, if one... Associ- oh, that ex- example is there in the Sriman Bhagavatam. If, if a ghee pot is put next to a fire, then the ghee will melt. If we have solid ghee, during the winter months in India, the ghee becomes solid. But if you put the, the pot of ghee next to the fire, then naturally it will melt. So in the same way, if a man comes in the proximity of woman, he becomes affected. So there is a mechanical process to some extent also. That that is there in Varnashram Dharma, and it's there in all in Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, and Bhakti Yoga. And in any civilized human society, there is restriction in mixing between the senses. There are many restrictions, even between husband and wife. In 
Vedic culture, not only Vedic culture, in almost all cultures, in any in any culture where there's where there's where there's only the word culture to describe a way of life, but there's no actual culture, then there's free mixing of men and women. Otherwise, restrictions must be there. Otherwise, the whole society will degrade. Now this uh, American army, they have women soldiers. Anyway, I don't want to get into a long discussion of how foolish this is. But uh, the sp- well, there's just one example. The Spartan soldiers of ancient, what's now Greece, ancient Greece, they were famous. They're from an area called Spartan. Therefore, they were called Spartan. So they knew that for fighting, they knew the value of celibacy. You can't fight if you're, if you're being shot by the arrows of Cupid, then you can't fight. You can't control. It requires such concentration to fight. And if the mind is uh, sidetracked by romance, then you can't fight properly. You can, you'll be hit by the arrows of Cupid, and then you'll be hit by the arrow the subtle arrows of Cupid, then you'll be hit by the arrows of the enemy. And you'll be finished. So it's just common sense that one has to accept certain restrictions to control the mind and senses. Talking about tea and coffee, there are some basic rules that one follows. But then controlling this, the gross activities of the senses is much more easier than controlling the mind. One may control the senses. All right, celibacy, brahmacharya. But to con- one may physically do so, not in be a brahmacharya by not engaging in sexual activities grossly. But then the controlling the mind or the tendency to want to engage in sexual activities, that's more difficult, especially for those who are raised in a highly sensual society, especially in the West and now in India also. Nevertheless, Srila Prabhupada writes here, Unless one controls his mind and senses, one cannot make any advancement in spiritual life. We learn shlokas. We can learn this also. Unless one controls his mind and senses, one cannot make any advancement in spiritual life. That's it. It's clear. It doesn't require big esoteric elucidation. The point is very clear. It's a heavy one, isn't it? How much advancement have we made in spiritual life? I've been to Mayapur. I've been to Vrindavan. 
I did Govardhan Parikrama, I chanted 64 rounds a day during Kartik, I fast on Ekadashi fully every time, I've done this, I've done that, I've done so many things, but have we controlled the mind and senses? Well, to some extent, yes. To some extent, it must be there. Otherwise, how could we do all these things? Nevertheless, it's a, it's a heavy statement. One to make us think. So the first duty is to control one's mind and senses. Now, Srila Prabhupada has written this, that it's one's own duty, it's something that we have to do. We have to control our mind and senses. Nevertheless, our process is not wholly focused on that. Our process is more focused upon the positive aspects of Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Svaranam, Pada, Sevanam, Arjanam, Bandhanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmanivedanam. You want to move this closer here? Hare Krishna. Is that what you want? Again, these processes, they automatically engage the senses in the service of the master of the senses. Whereas the, the jnanis and yogis, they have a, a very dry process. All they can think of is control. They don't have anything else to do. They control the mind and senses with no, with no activity for the mind and senses. Just all you have to do is control. It's just control it. Eat very simply. Eat very little. Sleep very little. Don't talk. So it's a, it's a negative process, whereas the bhakti process is a positive process. But nevertheless, even though we say the positive process, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, but there has to be on the the foundation must be there. We should understand also that without vacho vegam, manasakoda vegam, jiva vegam, buddha vegam, without controlling these urges, without an endeavor to control these urges. One's activities in Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam will not be successful. So we have to make some effort also. But at the same time, uh, we accept that our endeavors, we don't have that much power ourselves, actually, to control our mind and senses. We have to try to but at the same time we realize that we are dependent on the mercy of Krishna and his devotees, Hari Guru Vaishnava. We're dependent upon their mercy. So we have to endeavor. Our endeavor is essential. 
the same time, you have to realize that we are dependent on the mercy of higher personalities. And even if one can rigidly control his mind and senses, apparently one's personally in control, we should understand that we're, we're really, the real control comes from the mercy of Hari Guru and Vaishnava, because even if one is very strong in, pers- in, in one's own personal determination to control the mind and senses, Maya can blow him away at any second. We are very weak before Maya. Therefore, Mameva ye prapatyante Maya me If we surrender to Krishna, we can cross over Maya. Maya is far more powerful than us. But Krishna is far more powerful than Maya. Srila Prabhupada continues, Everyone within this material world is engrossed in the modes of passion and ignorance. In several places, Srila Prabhupada makes succinct, universal descriptions of the material situation. This is one. In one simple sentence, Srila Prabhupada sums up the whole position of the material world. Let's read it again. Everyone within this material world is engrossed in the modes of passion and ignorance. Engrossed. It's a, it's a, I mean, English isn't such a great language, but this is a good word. Engrossed. Engrossed means absorbed, but the word gross is also there, which here it's in a different usage, but gross means gross. Base, coarse. So, one is absorbed in in that which is gross, which is uh, where spiritual existence is fine, beautiful. Satyam Shivam Sundaram. This is the Upanishadic utterance. The, the supreme truth is Satyam, truth, Shivam, all auspicious, and Sundaram. Beautiful. But this material world is false in as much as it is temporary and false in so many ways. False in as much as all our hopes are dashed again and again and again. Hmm? What is that? A satgrahat. What is that verse? Prabhupada says. We, we desire that which is unattainable. Therefore we're disappointed again and again. This world is false, inauspicious, and not beautiful. Even that which appears beautiful, it is ultimately subject to rot. Again, many years ago, nowadays I'm getting old, so I often state many years ago while visiting a Buddhist monastery in 
Thailand. He came into one room where there was a photograph of a beautiful young woman dressed modestly but nevertheless clearly beautiful and next to that was a glass case with uh, lying in it was the form of a woman dressed in similar clothes it wasn't just the form of a woman it was a dead body and it smelled also but it was somehow or other preserved and it gave us gave and it's probably still there it gives a stark contrast that same beautiful body that which is considered the most beautiful thing within this world by the insane poets as Srila Prabhupada referred to them insane poets 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 the poets the mundane poets they lord mundane beauty truth is beauty and beauty is truth said the English poet Keats but he doesn't know what beauty is for him beauty is a beautiful woman so for him a beautiful woman is truth but that truth uh, that ends up as a dead body so for him actually truth is death that's the fact in this material world the real truth if one doesn't find the real truth of Krishna then he finds the real truth of death so this topic Ravindra Saruprabhu again many years ago uh, explicated in an article that appeared in Back to Godhead called Sex is Death you've seen that well sex is life it gives sex from sex comes life but he was showing that actually it's it's the bondage in this material world that causes us to die again and again and again. Punarapi jananam, punarapi maranam, punarapi janani jatare shayanam. So, that's it. The material world is horrible. Krishna is beautiful. But that beauty is nothing to do with the beauty of this material world. In the lower modes of nature, one is engrossed in this material world. The Prabhupada writes, one must promote himself to the platform of goodness, sattva by following the instructions of Rupa Goswami, and then everything concerning how to make further progress will, reveal, will be revealed. Now this is very interesting. One must promote himself to the platform of sattva This material world is engrossed in the lower modes of nature. Um, from sattva what is that? Satvang Sanjayate Gyanam. In the mode of goodness, real knowledge develops. Now, this first verse of Upadesh Amrita, this Vachovegam verse, it's not in and of its, or controlling the urges of the senses. This is not in and of itself a spiritual activity. 
that is the activity of persons aspiring for spiritual life. This controlling the mind and senses places one in sattva And actually this Vacho Begum verse, before it was uh, included in Sri Upadesha Amrita by Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, it already appears, of course we're talking chronologically, and Rupa Goswami's Upadesha Amrita is eternal, but chronologically in this Kali Yuga, it appears after Mahabharata is compiled by Shilabhyasadu. So in Mahabharata, twice in slightly different form, this Vacho Vegam verse appears. Once it stated that, in one place it stated that to con- one should control all these urges to become a Brahmana. And elsewhere it stated that to become a Muni, one has to control all of these. As Prabhupada writes, in all spiritual affairs. So any Brahmana or Muni, he has to control the mind and senses. Rupa Goswami gives this first condition and then goes on to explain the activities of bhakti. So the first thing is, at least one should come to Sadhguru. Now, of course, in Kali Yoga, this Kali Yoga, by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mercy, even the most fallen, sinful and degraded, and if, in fact, if not the most fallen, sinful and degraded persons in terms of their habits, they are taken to the chanting of Hare Krishna. So anyone can chant Hare Krishna. But if one is going to take up the practice of Krishna consciousness seriously, then one cannot remain in the lower modes of nature. One has to accept a regulated lifestyle. Regulated regulated for spiritual advancement means in the mode of goodness. Or regulated for religious advancement under the directions of the Vedas. That brings one to the mode of goodness. Of course, one can also be regulated in following some religious process which is not in the mode of goodness. Still there's some regulation, just like in Islam, there's a lot of regulation. You have to go to the mosque five times a day, including very early in the morning. Not quite as early as Mongolati, but pretty early, before dawn. And then you have to wash yourself. And during the month of Ramadan, fasting between sunrise and sunset is required. It must be difficult to be a, a Muslim in Sweden if Ramadan comes in the summer. Because, the, I mean, there is no sunset, actually. I mean, just the sun goes down and then it goes up. I saw in Murmansk in Russia in the summer, it just the sun goes down, but it doesn't set, and then it just comes up again. So what are you... I, pretty difficult. Ramadan fasting. 
what do you do? Anyway, the point is that there is uh, there is a lot of regulation and sense control. Uh, unfortunately, they also eat meat, so so uh, we can't say it's in the mode of goodness. And there's some regulation is there. But regulated life to come to the platform of Satvagun. So here Srila Prabhupada writes, one must promote himself to the platform of goodness, Satvagun, by following the instructions of Rupa Goswami. One may follow various religious directions and they may regulate one. And if one follows the Vedic directions, for instance those to in Mahabharata to become a Brahmana or a Muni, one can come to Satvagun, but if one follows these directions under the guidance of Rupa Goswami, which means that one should, this Upadesh Amrita is a companion book to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, which is again a companion book to Srimad Bhagavatam, the basis of which is Bhagavad Gita. So, Following the instructions of Rupa Goswami, one should control the mind of senses, become situated on the platform of Satvagun, and then everything concerning how to make further progress will be revealed. Now, how is that revealed from the scriptures which are given by Rupa Goswami and others, which we can read? which are spoken to us, and also from within the heart, what is proper following, that is revealed to the sincere follower. Srila Prabhupada, in this purport, uses the word, again and again uses the word, serious. So if one is serious, Srila Prabhupada uses the term serious and sincere practically throughout his books, practically interchangeably, and practically they mean the same thing. So everything concerning how to make further progress will be revealed. Everyone who comes to this Krishna conscious movement is given the same process to follow. Hopefully. Things may be a little different nowadays to what they used to be, but basically we're all given the same process to follow. We have the same books, same Mahamantra, same Mongolati, same everything. Some devotees take it, they go along with it, and they become great devotees. Some take it for some time and leave it and go away. But some take it and they go along with it, but they don't really seem to be going anywhere very quickly, even after many years. Although it is somehow or other to hang in there, for many years, that in itself is a qualification. So, everything will be revealed within the heart. All uh, understanding, siddhantas, everything will be revealed. What is proper, what is not proper, everything will be revealed. How to make further advancement. If one makes the, the basic, if one gets the basic points in line. Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who is the Seventh Goswami has given us the... He's accepted, even though this title was given to him by someone who's not very... 
spiritually well situated, but we can accept seventh Goswami, there are many Goswamis. We say six Goswamis or eight Goswamis, but Srila Prabhupada writes here in the purport that Vaishnavas are generally known as Goswamis. All devotees have to be Goswamis, controllers of the mind and the senses. So everything will be revealed to who? Yasya Deve Parabhatya Yata Deve Tatagura Tasaite Katatahyarata Prakashante Mahama. One who has firm faith in the scriptures, sorry, the one who has firm faith in the Supreme Lord and in the Guru, and the imports of scriptures are revealed. So we're all given the same process, but how we accept it, that depends on us. Therefore, this sentence in the beginning of the next paragraph, advancement in Krishna consciousness depends on the attitude of the follower. This to me, since I first read it, just immediately struck me as being just, it's just like a key to how can we make advancement? It all depends on our own attitude. So important to understand this. What is our attitude? What do we want? What do we want? How, how are we approaching Krishna? What is our attitude? So this is very important. And I'm not going to speak on it now. It's a, very, it's a topic that requires much elucidation. So maybe another time we can discuss this last paragraph of the Nectar of Instruction preface. And now if there are any questions, if anyone would like to ask, please ask. Better if you write them down. Thank you to all who have attended this seminar. Encourage me to speak something, giving me some opportunity to speak about these topics. Thank you also to all of you. I don't think it's possible to thank individually because there have been so many of you who have been following Rupa Goswami's principle, Dadati, offering gifts. So many have offered me gifts and sent food. So my thanks to all of you who have sent all these things to me. Various garlands and unoffered food and prasad and Lakshmi and offered so many services. So, many thanks to all of you. And here's a question. How do we know when our mind is impelling us to do something or when it is Chaitya Guru guiding us? Well, the first test is the Shastra. Shastra gives direct instructions, do this, don't do that. And also Shastra gives many narrations of great personalities in the past and how they applied the Shastric directions in practical life. Practical life often has many... uh, Difficult situations where it's 
difficult to know exactly what we should do. The classic example is Arjuna being bewildered whether or not to fight at Kurukshetra. The example of Arjuna is valid also when he couldn't work it out, he submitted his query to Krishna, accepting Krishna as a guru. It shouldn't be though that we have to run to the guru. We should take some basic training and then apply that in our lives. The guru is a practical teacher, not a not a wet nurse or a, or a nappy changer. That he, every little, every moment, he has to tell you what to do. One should be intelligent enough to take the instructions and apply them. Um, even such a great person as Arjuna had to submit himself to Krishna for practical guidance, even though he was aware to a, when he was very much aware of the principles of dharma. But before the Kurukshetra battle, he was bewildered as how to apply them. Then during the battle, he was also bewildered when he uh, decided to kill Yudhishthir, which was absurd. But Arjuna thought, now I have to kill Yudhishthir. And then Krishna again had to instruct him that you think this is the right thing to do, but it's the wrong thing. I won't, it's a long, the Mahabharata story is a long story, so I won't tell it now. But the point is that even such a great person as Arjuna required, it, required guidance. So th- that guidance may not always be there. Then we have to depend on our sincerity. Chaitya Guru will speak to us according to our sincerity. We often hear, it's quite common nowadays, people talk about the little voice speaking to me from within, which they consider to be spiritual. Uh, this little voice is usually the voice of Maya, unless one is, unless one has dedicated oneself to the, uh, sincerely to the service of Guru and Krishna, then that little voice may sound spiritual, but is actually mundane. Because our, our, if our intention is not to surrender to Krishna, then li- the little voice within will give us many suggestions which to us sound profound and proper, but which are accepted by us in our elaborate psychic construct of self-deception in which we pretend we're being spiritual, we're actually cheating ourselves and just pretending to be spiritual, but actually we're just doing everything for the sake of gross or subtle sense gratification. Is there any other question? If not, then chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Hare Krishna.